Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would please, this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, recognizing and overcoming Satan's strategies. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the uh, fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, that is, his place of headship now. But he's not going to let you have it. He's going to rule over you. The sense of ruling, domineering. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, through the, through the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would open our understanding to this text of Scripture. And Lord, as you said to the churches in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. May it be so. May our ears be open and our eyes be open to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read these words. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Now folks, you hear those words and you think, man, what a different picture that is from what we read in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. In the opening chapters of God creating everything in the world, everything on earth and in the universe, we see the words and God saw all that he had made and it was good. And finally he says, and behold, it was very good. But then you come to these words right here. But understand this, in the last days there will be difficult times. And we have to ask ourselves, what happened? It is clear that something happened to interrupt the good creation that God had made. The Bible refers to it as the fall of man. Now the fall refers to that period of time in Genesis 3 and following when the first couple listened to the voice of Satan and they disobeyed God and sin was introduced into the created order. And folks, it is important to see that sin affected everything. It affected Adam and Eve's relationship with God as we see in our text today. They're hiding from God. They're separated from God. They're alienated from God. It affected their relationship with one another. It affected their children. In Genesis chapter 4, the very next narrative after the fall, we see one brother rising up against his other brother and killing him. It affected society. In Genesis 6, God saw all the wickedness of mankind and said, Every thought and intent of his heart is now wicked and the whole earth is filled with violence. 
As Paul says in Romans 8, the whole of creation was plunged into darkness. The only hope for mankind, the only hope for this world is redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, that's why the scripture says that God is going to make all things new. The heavens and the earth are going to pass away and God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth as the scripture says and it's going to be a place where righteousness dwells. Well, what is the church to do in the meantime? Well, first of all, we are to pray because God is sovereign. And so we're to get on our knees before God and we're to pray for wisdom and strength and how we're to conduct ourselves in a lost and a dark world. And secondly, we need to be about the business of the church, which is preaching the gospel. Men and women are lost in darkness and they need redemption. And that's why Jesus said in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. In other words, political parties and activities and demonstrations and, and taking to social media and whatever other avenues that people take today, those avenues are not the answer. The answer for a broken world is the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning I want us to go back to the foundational passage in the Bible to see what went wrong. But I don't simply want you to focus on the first couple. As we look at the first couple and we see what they did and what happened as a result, we need to understand that you and I today continue to do the very same things. And so Genesis 3 has a very contemporary ring to it. The problem continues to be that when men and women at Satan's instigation ignore God's word and think that they have better solutions, we end up alienated from God and from one another and evil of all sorts moves in to fill the vacuum. First thing I want you to see with me this morning is the fact that Satan is a schemer. In verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so immediately as we get into chapter 3, we have to admit that what we're reading here is a rude interruption. Something has gone wrong again from the good that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good and beautiful. God's created man, male and female, in His image and they enjoy a wonderful intimate fellowship with God and with one another and God is walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Nowhere in the world would you ever find a more serene scene than you look at in Genesis 1 and 2. But then as we get into chapter 3 we see things go horribly wrong. Now folks, Satan has been caricatured so much by writers and actors and comedians today that some people don't even believe that he exists. 
Some people in the world today try to doubt the existence of the devil and explain bad things on an impersonal evil force. In other words, they take the D out of devil and just simply end up with an evil impersonal force. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible points out that we have an enemy and he is a personal being. The masculine pronoun he is given to him and we see him as a literal being on the pages of scripture. The Bible never denies the existence of Satan. Jesus didn't deny the existence of Satan. He called him a murderer and a liar who's been lying from the beginning. He also called him the evil one and the prince of this world. Paul said that Satan is the god of this age who's blinded the minds of the unbelievers lest they see the glory of God in Christ and be saved. Right away we're introduced to him here. There's this creature. He's a serpent who is talking. Now keep in mind at this point the whole animal kingdom is good. Today if I see a snake I'm running the other way. But we think of serpents after the fall. But you know what there may be another clue to this as well. Now what I'm about to say is pure speculation on my part. But if you were to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 you would see seraphim flying around the throne of God crying out holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You dig into the background of of seraphim and it is a word which refers to serpent-like creatures. Satan was created as an angel. Did Satan belong to the classification of angels known as seraphim? Does that explain his serpent-like appearance? I don't know, just a thought. Who is he? Well, the name Satan literally means adversary. Satan is against us. He is our opponent. He's also called the devil. And the Greek word means one who accuses us. In Genesis 3, we see the devil accusing and slandering God before men. And then in Job 1 and 2, we see the devil slandering and accusing man before God. In the book of Revelation, he's called the great dragon. With that image, what you and I are supposed to see is a very hideous creature that nobody should ever be attracted to. Now, where did Satan come from? Well, as we look at other places in the Bible, we're able to put together somewhat of a pretty good picture. He was a created being. Now folks, as such, as a created being, he is not equal to God. We do not believe in dualism. Dualism that says there are two sovereign beings, one good and one evil, and they're fighting one another, and who knows which one's going to win. No, we are not dualists. There is one sovereign God, only one. Satan is just a created being. 
Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are passages of Scripture that Bible scholars believe refer to Satan's beginning. In Isaiah 14, the Scripture says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you've been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. And then in Ezekiel 28, it says, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covered and I placed you there you were on the holy mountain of God you walked in the midst of the stones of fire you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you by the abundance of your trade you were internally filled with violence and you sinned Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by way of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. And then in Revelation 12, the Bible says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Satan lost his place in heaven. And the Bible says that he is now roaming to and fro in the earth seeking someone whom he may devour. In addition to Satan, there's a whole host of demons. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. We need to put on the whole armor of God because we're fighting not simply against flesh and blood, but he says against principalities and powers in high places. And again, what's Satan doing? 1 Peter 5 says he's roaming about seeking someone to devour. And we see that that is what he is doing here in Genesis chapter 3. He is trying to devour this very first couple. Folks, the first thing that God's people need to realize today is that Satan is very real and he is certainly no pushover. And the Bible says he comes to us as a deceiver and he will even disguise himself as an angel of light. We need to be wise to his ways. He's a schemer. Secondly, Satan will twist God's word and try to get you to desire what God has forbidden. Look again at verses 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
Now notice what the tempter is doing here. He goes with a full frontal attack upon the authority of God's Word. One of the ways Satan operates is to try to destroy our lives with his lies. He tries to get you and me doubting God's Word. He will try to get you and me living outside of the authority of God's Word. He'll try to convince you that there is no heaven or there is no hell. Or if there is a heaven, just try to be the best that you can be and you'll get there. He's a liar. He'll try to tell you that any religion is good enough that always lead to God. And you know what? To the human mind it makes sense to a lot of people. However, as the book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Satan will twist God's word. He'll call God's word into question. He'll misrepresent it. And that's what he's doing here. He's misrepresenting the Word of God. Look back to chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 to see what God really said. In verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There in in verse 2 and 3, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see what Satan's doing? He's misrepresenting the Word of God. He's twisting the Word of God. He's trying to make it look like God is stingy. Eve, God is keeping you and Adam from something that you really need to have a greater degree of fulfillment in your life. God is holding you back. You need all of these trees, even that one tree. You need this. Actually, God wasn't stingy at all. God is a gracious, benevolent creator and sustainer. Every tree of the garden you may eat of but this one. It was a test of obedience. But every other one you may eat of. God had given so much to the original couple. God had only withheld that which needed to be withheld for their own well-being. God will do that. Why does he do that? Why does God ever say no to you and me? He says no because he's trying to protect us. From that that will ultimately destroy us. But he is good. He's benevolent. He's gracious. Satan wants us to believe that every time God sees somebody enjoying pleasure or having a good time, God is going to move in and try to break it up. He's a cosmic killjoy. 
and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The psalmist in Psalm 84 wrote, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, It is God who gives all things richly to His people to enjoy. God is a good God. Now folks, we can see from Eve's response that she's in trouble because she too misquotes God's Word. There's carelessness on her part. She's running kind of free and careless with God's Word. She adds to the Word. She makes it even more severe. She says that God told us you shall not even touch it. But again, that's not exactly what God said. But isn't that like us though? When somebody restricts us, we want to add to it. Dr. Kent Hughes in his exposition on Genesis gives the illustration of a father correcting his daughter and her friend for misbehaving and he says that it's time for the friend to leave. Well, what's the daughter do? The daughter goes running to her mother crying and says, Daddy uh, Daddy made Katie go home and says she can never ever come back again. Or the employee comes out of his boss's office and he's just been corrected for being late. He comes out talking to the other employees and says, The boss indicated that if anybody is ever late again for any reason, he or she'll be fired on the spot. Something about human nature, we just do that. Eve is running fast and free with God's word. Now, isn't that a lesson to us folks? When we do not know the Word of God or when we're careless with it, we're setting ourselves up for being deceived. Satan directed Eve's gaze to the forbidden fruit. That's what he does. We might know that God's Word says one thing, but there are other things in this world that we want. We desire those things. Never mind that God tells us no. They appeal to us, and we want them. And Satan uses that desire. He uses that appeal. He uses it to tempt us and say, come on now, just this once. Don't you want it? He got Eve to linger where she should have fled. He He persuaded her to act in independence from God. Go ahead and do your own thing, Eve. Forget about what God has said. He convinced her that she could even be like God. And folks, right there is where much of the human race is at this morning. Most are going about ignoring God's word, doing their own thing. They are living as though they are their own authority, their own God. 
Mankind is so gullible that he thinks he's so free and he doesn't even see the fact that he's playing right into the hands of the evil one. He's not free. We talk about the free will of man. And I understand what people are saying about that. But just read Martin Luther, the great, the great reformer. Read his treatise sometimes on the bondage of the will. We're not free. We're in a bondage to sin and we need redemption through Christ. Satan got Eve to doubt the word of God. And then thirdly, lastly, I want you to see Satan will tell you that disobedience to God does not really have bad consequences. After twisting the Word of God and changing the Word of God around, finally he just outright denies the Word of God. He says, Eve, you will not die. He wants you to believe that that God won't punish sin. He wants to try to turn the Ten Commandments into the Ten Suggestions. This whole thing hinged upon whom Eve was going to believe. Was she going to believe God or was she going to believe Satan? This morning I want to ask you that same thing. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe God's word? Doubt and denial were followed up by delusion. He said, Eve, you'll be like God. He was putting into Eve's mind the daring thought that had once been in his own mind. With that first bite, she was his. She was a sinner. The Bible says, he that committeth sin is the slave of sin. And finally, we read that she gave. She gave to her husband, Adam. The sinner becomes the seducer. There's something about goodness in other people that thoroughly irritates those who are not good themselves. They feel rebuked by the lives of those who don't participate in their sins. And so they try to convince others to eat with them. And that's exactly what Eve is doing. Folks, I want you to think about What's going on in America right now? The pornographers try to seduce everyone into joining them in their shame. The drug addicts want to get others dealing and abusing or using with them. The demonstrators are burning and looting and tearing up and wanting crowds to join them and throw in the towel with them. And mankind is so Foolish, everybody just gets in line with everybody else and goes right along. Here we see sin's consequences. Sin brings separation from God and from one another and it brings shame. Look at what happened here. First of all, we see their plight. Oh, their eyes were opened all right. But did they get what they thought they were going to get? No, 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 no. Their eyes were open, but all of a sudden they realize that they're naked and they're shamed. Things didn't turn out the way they were promised. 
Notice what they immediately try to do is rectify the situation with their own solutions. They put the fig leaves together as coverings. That's the folly of religion right there. Adam and Eve take fig leaves, sew them together, and try to come up with their own remedy for what they've done. Somebody said that for the first time in history, a man's wife had to go shopping for clothes, and we've never gotten over it. Seriously though, isn't that what man tries to do with religion or philosophy or good works? Man tries to come up with his own solutions. It's nothing more than modern day fig leaves. Man tries to do something to cover his nakedness. He knows he's separated from God and that he's in deep trouble. And he tries to do something on his own. And then we see his flight. He thinks he can get away from God. He can hide. Now that he understands his eyes are open and he's naked, it didn't turn out quite the way he thought it was going to. Now he thinks, I'm just going to hide from God. Jonah thought he could do the same, and he learned the hard way you can't run from God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 139, where David is is talking, and he's, where can I go to get away from God? That way, up, down, east, west. I can't get away from God anywhere. Now, David was overjoyed by that. Some people try to get away, and they're in fear. They're wanting to get away. Folks, all that certainly shows us that when you sin, you might sin privately and you're thinking you've hidden it from God and everybody else. But God knows right where you are and He knows exactly what you've done. Here's Adam and Eve trying to hide. Before the voice of God in the garden had been their delight. Their daily quiet time with Him had been the best time of the day. But now they're hiding and running from Him. And God knows exactly what they've done and exactly where they are. He knows where they are. What's God doing with all these questions? God is simply trying to get them to come out into the open and confess what they've done. Not only are they hiding and running, but now they've also started playing the blame game. So we could say that it goes from their plight to their flight. And now they're fight. They're blaming one another. They're pointing the finger at one another. Adam is making excuses. God, it's her fault. It's this woman that you gave me. Everybody knows it's the wife's fault, right? Ladies, I'm just kidding. Adam says, God, it's your fault too. I mean, after all, God, it's you who who gave me this woman. You think God hears excuses like that today? Sure he does. 
God, you made me this way. It's your fault. God, you put me in that situation. And on and on it goes. Adam has gone from making over his new wife, where in chapter 2, he said, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now he's pointing the finger at her. There's blame and division. You think all of this is what Adam and Eve bargained for? Certainly not. It's like the old saying that says, Sin will take us further than we wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sin sounds like so much fun up front. That teenage, those teenagers in the back seat. But then they end up with an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. That man or woman in the office place having that affair seems like so much fun. Nobody knows, but they end up destroying their families. The devil promises a party and instead we end up with hell on earth. Sin results in judgment. God judges sin. You mark it down, God will judge sin. You want to know how I know that God judges sin? Go out this afternoon and find a snake. Is the snake walking on legs? No. What's the snake doing? Crawling on its belly, just like God said in Genesis 3 would be the judgment. Go down to the labor and delivery unit at Northeast Hospital and listen to the women in childbirth crying out in pain. Go to work tomorrow and many of you by the sweat of your brow are going to be doing your job. It's going to be difficult. Look at the battle of the sexes going on. And oh yeah, don't forget, go out to the cemetery, death. God tells Adam he'll die. Death's a horrifying thing. Men mock it. They seek to rob it of its gruesomeness by embalming the dead and surrounding their coffins with flowers. But death is still death. God judges sin just like he said he would do. So do we close out the story right there? Do we run and fight and divide and hide and excuse and curse and finally just die? Is that the answer? Do we say out with snakes, in with donkeys or elephants, get the right elephant in there, get the right donkey in there and hey folks, we're home free. I know, just get rid of all the weapons, right? Well, try to tell Abel that. Cain found a rock or something in the field. Men are going to find something to kill one another with. We're looking for all of these solutions that never address the heart of the problem. God comes along and God addresses the heart of the problem. Man tries to put band-aids on things and, and he just deals with, with the outcroppings of what the real problem is. The real problem is the problem of the human heart. Amen. And that's what God deals with. And that's what we see in the storyline of the Bible 
a sacrifice. For the first time in the garden, Adam and Eve saw death. They realized what their sin had done. Something had to shed its blood. Something had to die. Folks, sin is a radical thing. And for something radical, it needs a radical cure. But I want you to see God's ultimate solution came years later. God's ultimate solution wasn't just for Adam and Eve. It was for the whole human race. You see, you were there too. You and I were there. You were in the garden. Did you know that? You were there. You see, you were in Adam's loins, as theologians put it. He was the federal head of the human race at this point. We came from our first parents. Christ, the second Adam, is likewise the federal head of the human race. That's why Paul says what he does in Romans 5.19. He says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so likewise by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Do you realize everybody in here this morning is either in Adam or in Christ? Only two choices. Not only were we there in a sense, but by our own actions, we, we ratify what Adam and Eve did. You see, given the same choices, what do we do? We do the same things they did. Proving that if they wouldn't have done it, you would have done it. And I would have done it. But what we see is God's grace. God was looking. Aren't you glad that God is always the one taking the initiative? God takes the initiative even when you go astray. God's the one who comes up with the solution for sin. Men try to, again, fig leaves. God comes up with the solution. God covers their nakedness with a sacrifice. But folks, let's don't stop there. Let's tie it all together. The rest of the Old Testament is filled with sacrifices. Those sacrifices were a foreshadowing of what God was going to do in Jesus. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's John saying? John's saying, guys... There's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the perfect sacrifice that's going to take away the sin of the world. Satan came against the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. But Jesus stood squarely on God's word and quoted God's word without compromise. And the devil left him. Jesus was, a, Jesus was able to do what the first couple was unable to do. And then 2,000 years later on that first Palm Sunday, the perfect Lamb of God entered through the gate into the city. That, that same day, that same period of time, they would have been bringing the lambs 
Those lamb, many of the lambs used in the temple for sacrifice raised out in the fields of Bethlehem. They would have been bringing them through the sheep gate. There they are coming through the sheep gate. And here's the Lamb of God going through the gate into the city. Those little lambs were examined before the priest for several days to make sure they were without spot and without blemish. So they could be used in a sacrifice. Here was Jesus, the Lamb of God, before the authorities being examined. Finally, they said, we find no basis for a charge against this man. He's innocent. And yet he voluntarily laid down his life. And a sacrifice that never has to be done over again because he said, it is finished. The writer of Hebrews says he offered himself and nothing else needs to be done. The sacrifice was made that the shame of your nakedness and my nakedness and your and my separation from God might be covered and that we might be reconciled to a holy God. We no longer have to hide in shame and guilt. He's preparing a place for us. A place I would only assume much like the first garden. The Bible begins in a garden, ends in the garden. The only difference is the, garden, it, the first garden was subject to sin and shame. The last garden is not going to be subject to sin and shame. And Satan will be bound forever. You see, it all ties together. Folks, I want you to understand today that Satan is about this very same business. He wants to discredit God's Word. He wants to tell you and me that if we will only listen to him and break God's laws, we'll get away with it. Somebody else may not get away with it, but go ahead. You'll get away with it. He's a liar and a deceiver. He specializes in dividing us and separating us from our Heavenly Father who loves us so. He specializes in dividing us and separating us from one another. And then we begin killing one another. We begin hating one another. We begin fighting and tearing one another down and using one another for our own purposes and ends. And we're so blind we just go right along and our lives end up wrecked and our communities end up wrecked. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer for this world. The only answer. And that means you and I need to be out in society as salt and light telling people what the only solution is. There won't be peace until people know the Prince of Peace. I also want you to remember what I said earlier this morning. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, you die. 
And the Bible's not just simply talking about physical death. It is talking about spiritual death and eternal separation from God. If you're in Adam, you die. But if you're in Christ, you live. It's like the hymn says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. World leaders are not the answer. Oh, sure, we need them to lead. God gives leaders to lead to protect citizens, punish evildoers. Just read Romans 13. But world leaders are not the ultimate answer. Jesus is the answer. And folks, that's why the church has got to be the church because nobody else is going to be out there in society preaching the message that we preach. Because again, all they're trying to figure out is the fig leaves. But you know the one who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in sin and separation and alienation and destitution and eternal death. You made the way. Men try to make ways, but every one of them ends up as a dead end. But you offer the way. Jesus is the way, the life, the truth. Lord, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who is still in Adam. Help them to see the urgency of the hour. They need to come to Christ. And Lord, for those who have come to Christ, help us to see as the world is trying to figure all these things out, we know the answer. Give us boldness to be telling other people about Jesus. Lord, these are not days for the church to shrink back. Give us courage and boldness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.